invite you now to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, verse 41 through 52, or you can find the passage that's printed on the insert in your bulletin. Um, right now, uh, we're looking through a couple of stories that immediately follow the Christmas story, the birth of Jesus. And what I told you the last time we were together is that I think these stories that immediately follow the Christmas story, they really help to pull back the veil on the identity of Jesus. And the story that we're going to read this morning of Jesus' parents returning to Jerusalem to find Him at the temple, I think, does that. It pulls back the veil and shows us not only who Jesus is, but His understanding of who He is. And in this, I think that we find really great application for something that we all really desperately want and desperately need in this life, and that is rest. Deep, real, abiding rest. So let's read together this passage in Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 41. This is God's holy and inerrant word. Every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the feast of the Passover. When he was twelve years old, they went up to the feast according to the custom. After the feast was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple court, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be? in my father's house. But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's go before him now and ask for his help. Father, we come before your word this morning to ask that you would help us to understand it, that by your spirit you would apply it to our lives. Father, whether we recognize it or not, we come this morning thirsty, needing to drink from the fountain of grace. And Father, we pray that as we look at Your Word together this morning, You would take us to that fountain of grace. That You would indeed pull back the veil on the identity of Jesus. And that You would show us the wonder and the glory of His person and His work on our behalf. God, we confess that As we have come here today, some of us walk through the doors tired. Some have walked through the doors and find themselves distracted by many other cares. 
Others find them burden, themselves burdened and just feel, to be honest, beaten down by life. Still others find themselves wondering if this good news of Jesus coming to die for sinners, if it's really true and if it can be true of them. Father, we pray that no matter how we come this morning with our excitement, with our fears, with our worries, with our doubts, that you would indeed pull back the veil, that you would allow us to see that we're really all the same. The symptoms of our brokenness may differ, but that's just it. We're all broken. We're far more fallen than any of us really know. And so we need to see Jesus. We need to be taken to the fountain of grace to know that though we're far more broken than we know, because of Jesus and what He came to accomplish, we are at the same time far more loved, far more secure, far more accepted than we could have ever dreamed possible. And we pray this morning that that good news would seep into our hearts and that we would be forever changed. It's in Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen. A couple of years ago, I um, watched one of the documentaries on on the History Channel of the 9-11 terrorist attacks. And, um, And they were interviewing some of the people that were there on that day. And one of the men whom they interviewed was this man named Louis Lesh. And Louis, I, I wish I had a picture to show you of him, because Louis just, he just looked like he was from New York, you know. He just, he looked hardened, he looked weathered, he looked tough, um, all, all this kind of stuff. And he had this really tough, deep, hard voice that matched, you know, his appearance. And Lewis was a worker in the North Tower, and he told, in his part of the interview, he told a story of his descent in the stairwell when they were evacuating the tower that I think really got, for him and for me, at the bravery of the firemen that day. And this this is what he said. I, I wrote it down. He said, I'm going down, and there was a point where we stopped. And this fireman was on the same step as me. He looked at me, and I looked at him. And that look... He knew where he was going. I didn't. And that's what I found very, very interesting. He knew exactly where he was going, and he didn't miss a step. And I knew where I was going, and I was tripping. And this, just this hardened, tough guy just breaks down in tears. And he says, and I just thought that was magnificent. And watching this through the tears, you could, you could really just see it through his eyes, right? That... That moment, frozen in time for him, there was something beautiful, even in the midst of all that chaos, all that fear, and all that tragedy. And he found it when he looked in that fireman's eyes. Now, here's another moment in time, Jesus as a 12-year-old boy. And here it is. What you need to see in this moment is that Jesus knew who he was and exactly where he was going. And he didn't miss a step. And if you're able 
to see the magnificence and the beauty of this. It really has the power to change your life. And I think one of the main things that it has the power to do for you and for me is that it gives us a real reason for real, deep, and abiding rest in our lives. And here's what I mean. If you can lock eyes with Jesus in this story and see Him headed into the fires of God's justice for you, and that is real to you, you will find real, deep, and abiding rest. But I don't want you to... I, I, do want, I want you to hear one other thing about this, because I think it comes in this passage. Out in this passage, I'm not talking about some kind of weird, like, unnatural rest, you know, that kind of ignores life. A rest that somehow just ignores pain and suffering, and struggle in this life. I want you to see that what we learn about Jesus in this passage, it allows you to find rest even when you have no idea what is going on in your life. And you feel lost, and you feel like you're tripping down the stairwell. Because, I mean, if we're honest, I mean, that of all places is where we need to be able to find rest. In those moments, when things seem to be spinning out of control, and you don't know up from down, and your expectations and your dreams and your hopes have been shattered before your eyes, in your, whether it be in your career or in your family or with your children or your financial situation, that's where you need to find the deep and abiding rest that you can have in Jesus. So before I rush ahead of myself, I'm saying to you this morning in this passage, you can find this real rest when you see the magnificence of this moment and understand Jesus' mission, Jesus' sonship, and Jesus' sacrifice. So first, Jesus' mission. Now, in this first point, we're going to do just a little bit of digging here to uncover what I think is the gold in this story. So just hold on. And I want to start by reading a a brief quote to you that comes from the commentator Daryl Bach. He He writes this. This journey occurred in Jesus' 12th year, which was before the normal age, i.e. 13, for Jewish boys to be responsible before God. Instruction toward this goal would be intensive for 12-year-olds. In other words, that Jesus is 12 years old is very significant. In the Jewish custom, this was the year when Jewish boys, they underwent this period of intense training and mentoring by their fathers. So here's a picture. Joseph is taking special care to instruct Jesus in what it meant for Jesus to be a Jewish man. Right, So Joseph and Mary, they've taken him to Jerusalem for the Passover feast. And Joseph, you've got to get this picture in your mind. Joseph would have been taking special care with Jesus in in pointed detail uh, and talking to him about the Jewish faith. So he would have taken him to the the temple and explained its significance in Israel's history and and why it was there and what it was there for. And Joseph would have given Jesus extremely careful instructions about the Passover feast. This is what we do, the sacrifice of the lamb, the meal, and this is why we do it, right? So here you go. On one level, Jesus was learning from his father Joseph what it meant to be a Jewish man. But And I think this is what Luke is getting at in this story, in telling this story. Jesus is learning here more than just what it meant to be a Jew. He was learning what it meant for him to be the Messiah, the Christ. Right? He was coming to grips with his mission, what God sent him to do. 
See, he stayed in Jerusalem and he was found at at the temple among the teachers in verse 46. And we are told in verse 47 that they were amazed at his understanding and answers. And, And the Greek word there for understanding in that verse speaks of, quote, understanding that is able to penetrate to the heart of an issue. It could be translated something like, they were amazed at his insight into the scriptures. And when his parents found him there, Jesus responded to them and said, didn't you know, I had to be in my father's house. It was necessary for him to be at the temple discussing the scriptures. It was necessary for him to be there delving into the very heart of, Of the scriptures. Now, bear with me for about 30 seconds because Jesus' insight into the scriptures and the way he talks about the necessity of his being in his father's house is really, really similar language to a story that comes at the end of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 24. You remember after the resurrection, Jesus was walking on the road to Emmaus, right? But there were these discouraged disciples that were there walking on this road and they hadn't heard of Jesus' resurrection yet. And they didn't recognize Jesus when he walked up amongst them. And this is what Jesus said to them there. How foolish you are and how slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. And here's what I'm saying. And this is a line of information, but... Jesus was amazing everyone with his insight into the scriptures because he was aware that the scriptures were all about him. That he was going to fulfill every story. That every story pointed to him and what he had come to accomplish. I mean, you think about it like this. Jesus is receiving this instruction from his earthly father Joseph about the Passover feast, right? And so Joseph would have told Jesus about the story of the Exodus, and they would have rehearsed that story together. And he would have told Jesus the story of how God came and he rescued the Israelites, right, from from the Egyptians. How, How God had the Israelites slaughter a lamb and put the blood of that lamb on the doorposts of their home. Right? And how the angel of the Lord came, and when he saw blood covering those homes, he passed over those homes and spared the Israelite children and struck down the Egyptians and set them free from their slavery. All Jewish men needed to know that story. But there was another level to that story is what I'm saying. Jesus was aware that that story was about him, and he was going to be the ultimate Passover lamb sacrificed and slain to set us free. He had to be in his father's house. He knew where he was going. And he didn't miss a step. You know, I think self-esteem is one of those kind of buzzwords, right, in our culture. Uh, Pretty popular in our culture. Popular subject. And we hear a lot about the importance of having a healthy self-esteem. And for those of us who are parents, we really want our children to have a healthy self-esteem. Because we know how important it is, right? I mean how we can be really crippled in life if we fail to see our value. And how if we have a healthy sense of our value, it really bleeds into every area of our lives. But here's the deal. Almost everyone is saying about self-esteem that you have to look inside to find it. You have to tell yourself that you're great, that you're worthy, that you matter, that you're significant. You have to tell yourself over and over until you believe it. 
But you and I know that it doesn't really work like that. And you know why? Because you were put together, and I was put together in such a way that you can only find your real value when you look outside of yourself and not inside of yourself. You know, we could do a whole thing here, but the reason you could tell yourself a million times today that you are great, that you're significant, that you're important, that you matter, and then have your best friend or your spouse or your parents say one, de- one demeaning, belittling, biting thing to you. And that sticks on you like super glue. And in a moment, it erases, erases all the million things you've told yourself about how great you were. And the reason that happens is because you were made to find your real worth, your real value, your real significance outside of you. Jesus... He was 12 years old contemplating his mission, that he came into this world to die for you, to be the Passover lamb for you. You you see, if you want to build a healthy self-esteem, realize your value to Jesus, is what I'm saying. The eternal king of kings, he came into this world to die for you. To find real healthy self-esteem, you have to look outside of yourself. See your significance, your worth, and your values in the eyes of the one who realized his mission was to redeem you through his own death. He knew where he was going to a cross. He knew he was going there for you. Even as a 12-year-old boy. And he didn't miss a step. Okay, second, we see in this passage that Jesus is also aware of his sonship. We kind of breeze through the... The, the story in the last point. But Jesus' family, they would have been traveling to and from Jerusalem with a big group of their relatives. So his unrecognized absence, it's not really irresponsibility on the part of his parents. It's a very communal culture and all that. But the point is simply in this story that Joseph and Mary, they had to return to Jerusalem to search and find Jesus. And here's the deal. When they found him, in verse 48, you see, Mary, she is anxious, uh, she is hurt, she's exasperated. And she said to Jesus, Son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. And I don't want to read too much into this, and I don't want to attempt to do that, but the way Mary mentions Jesus' father here makes me think that behind that statement is something like this. Of all the years, Jesus, of all the years in your life, for you to leave your father, you are supposed to be paying special attention to your father This year of all years, this is the year of intense mentoring between a father and a son. How could you do this to us? And Jesus' response was this. Why were you searching for me? Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? I mean, he was saying to her, I am paying attention to my father. I'm in my father's house. You know, there's so much about Jesus calling God, his father, that I wish we had time to to delve into deeply this morning. I mean, how no one ever before this talked about God with these kind of terms. I mean, it's totally unique with this personal, intimate language of calling God his father. Did you know that God is only called father in the Old Testament 14 times? In all the Old Testament, only 14 times. And of all 14 times, it is never He is never, ever called Father in respect to individuals in a personal, intimate way. He's only called Father in the Old Testament as it speaks of Him being a source of the nation of Israel. I mean, this we're so used to calling God God our Father 
This would have blown people away. This is, this is a game changer, right? To realize that a personal, intimate relationship with God like this is even possible. But let me go on here because this, I think, is a major point. Jesus, in speaking to his parents this way, he was saying something like, God is my Father, and my relationship with Him, therefore, completely relativizes my relationship with you. He's saying, my relationship to God as my Father comes before my relationship to you, Joseph and Mary. I mean, he's the first child ever, right, who could say that he's older than his parents. I mean, Mary and Joseph, they are unable to comprehend what Jesus is saying to them here. Verse 50, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. Now, listen closely for a second. I know we're doing a lot of information this morning, but every commentator that you read recognizes that this passage is a transition passage in Luke's gospel from really crystal clear communication from angels and prophecies and ceremonies about Jesus to all of a sudden Jesus being completely misunderstood and confusing people with his ministry. See, what's baffling here is that Jesus sees his parents' confusion and he does nothing to clear it up. He doesn't give them further explanation. He just lets them be confused. And I think Jesus is signaling, uh, is signaling something to us. Because He is God's Son, there are some things you will never understand about Him in this life. And that's okay. And you need to be okay with it. You will often misunderstand His intentions in your life. He will say things that are going to confuse you. He will do things in your life and then offer very little explanation for it. You know, all of my kids, they have a really hard time understanding this rule that we have about them playing in the street in front of our house. Um, Anyway, we're still trying to reinforce that that rule. we got four little kids. And, And, you know, I have tried at times to explain to my children why. They can't play in the street. Seems pretty obvious because cars barrel down through here and you don't want to get hit by a car. It'll hurt really bad. It'll be, it'll be bad. But it's really hard for little kids like that to, um, to understand unseen and unfelt consequences, right? And so for the most part, I've realized this in my parenting, sometimes I just need to stop trying to explain why and just say, I'm telling you to do this, period. Um, if you survive, you'll understand why, right? Just don't play in the street. I know, you know, and I know that the street in front of our house, it's flat, and it looks like a great place to bounce a ball. It looks like a great place to play. And I say, no, you can't play in the street. I mean, from their point of view, right, it looks like I am keeping them from freedom, from forbidden fruit. I'm keeping them from great fun. And I've realized it's okay if they don't understand why. Now, I think it's reasonable to assume that the gap in understanding that exists between me and my children, it is absolutely dwarfed by the gap that exists between our understanding and the understanding of the Son of God. I mean, you think about your life. You are a broken human being living in a broken world. And that means without knowing all of your individual stories... 
I know that your life story has pain and it has frustration in it. That things in your life have not gone as planned. That they have not gone so well. That expectations and hopes that you have have been dashed. And you don't understand why. And we often want to shake our fists at heaven and say, just explain this to me. Why is this going on? Tell me the end of all this. And Jesus is often very content to leave his people in a state of confusion. Because he is God's son. And there are some things you will never understand. Let me take this one step further, because what is really getting shattered in your confusion, in your pain, in your frustration, is often this. We think that Jesus should be treating us and taking care of us in a certain way. You know, if God really loved me, then my life would look like this, and it wouldn't look like that. What is he doing? This wouldn't be happening in my career, in my family, with my children, if Jesus really loved me. Look, he is the Son of God, and there are things that he will ask of you and things he will allow into your life that will confuse you. He will often be misunderstood. But it's when you're able to accept that and take your hands off of your life and trust him, that is when you will finally be able to experience real, deep, and abiding rest, even when you're tripping down the stairwell, even in the fear, even in the chaos, even in the confusion. Okay, so let's pause and get our bearings here for this last point. You know, because the sermon started pretty well for most of you. You know, Jesus' mission, our value, and then kind of a curveball on that last point, uncomfortable turn. But, you know, Jesus won't answer all of our questions, and we'll often misunderstand him. So now the question is, How in the world can you follow someone like that? Right, because he doesn't seem that safe after point number two. (laughs) You remember how C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia spoke about, about this? He said, you know, of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. And that's what I want you to see in this last point, to show you that you can trust him even in the pain and the suffering because he isn't safe. But he is so, so very good. Why? Because Jesus knew that he came to sacrifice his life for yours. You know, we've just gone through that conversation where Jesus told his parents that his relationship with God as his father relativizes his relationship with Joseph and Mary. In other words, he is about obeying his father first. And he doesn't have to obey Joseph and Mary. But then comes verse 51. follows right on the heels of this. Right on the heels of their confusion. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. I mean, he didn't have to. He was voluntarily obedient to his parents. To the people who didn't get him. To the people who misunderstood him. To the people who were confused by him. To the people who questioned him. He was voluntarily obedient to them. In verse 52, he grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. What I want you to realize in this last point is that Jesus was obedient to his earthly parents for you and for me. He submitted to them for you. Here's a problem that a lot of us deal with very regularly. You hear preachers like me who say things like, You have to look at the gospel and see that you are loved. You know, we'll say things like, only when you get a sense of God's radical love for you are you going to be free. 
Only when you get a sense of God's total and complete love for you will you find an unshakable identity in this life. Only when you realize and comprehend God's forever and perfect love for you will you be able to take your hands off of your life and obey Him even when you don't understand Him. Only when His absolute and total commitment to you and His unfailing love for you breaks upon you will you finally be able to rest really rest. And so you're sitting there hearing this, like I've sat there and heard this and hear myself say it week in and week out, and it sounds very good for like a second, right? But the truth of that, it leaks out of your heart and my heart so fast. We hear it and we know it must be true, but then almost immediately we start backpedaling. I can't believe that God loves me like that. There's no way God loves me like that. Just look at my life. We say, it sounds good, but I'm not worthy of love like that. Just look at the things I've done. God can't be that committed to me. Just look at my twisted motives. And when you do that, you're in real trouble because you start looking for your identity in something else. You grasp harder at control in this life when you do that. You become captive to fear when you do that. You aren't free, and so real, deep, and abiding rest continually eludes you and escapes you. So how do you find assurance of God's love for you when you look in the mirror and see all your shortcomings, all your brokenness, all your mess, all your twistedness? You remember this. Jesus, Jesus, he knew who he was and knew where he was going. And he went down to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents. And he did that for you. He was obedient for you in your place. He was the ultimate Passover lamb without flaw, without blemish. He lived the life you should have lived and he did it for you. So that when God looks at you, he sees the perfect spotless obedience of his son in your place. I mean, Jesus changed the game when he called God his father. No one ever spoke of a relationship with God that was that personal, that close, that intimate. Do you understand that Jesus' mission as the ultimate Passover lamb was to go to the cross and lose his father for you so that you could have sonship with God forever? I've got to wrap this up, but in verse 51 we're told this. Even in her confusion and understanding, Mary, his mother, treasured all these things in her heart. The wonderful truth of of the good news that God loves you, is committed to you, so that, that he sent his son to die for you, to live the life you should have lived, so that you could be his son or daughter, it is going to leak out of your heart so, so very quickly. And so you have to treasure these things, even in the confusion. And the misunderstanding, you have to ponder them, you have to rehearse them. You have to reinterpret every other story with this story. Of course he isn't safe. But he's good. He's the king, I tell you. He knew exactly where he was going. And he didn't miss a step. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have this recorded for us in your word, the first words of Jesus as a boy, that we have this story recorded for us, a picture of Jesus understanding 
growing in an awareness of his mission as the Redeemer, as the Savior of the world. This picture of Jesus understanding his sonship to you. Father, how we thank you for this story. It tells us that Jesus went down to Nazareth and was obedient to his parents for us in our place. It's not unnatural that we would often be tempted to look at our lives, all the brokenness, all the mess, all the things we, for the most part, try to keep hidden from everyone around us. It's not unnatural that seeing all of that, we would be tempted to say, how could God love me? How could God be that committed to me? How could I call him my father? And I pray that as we see the obedience of Jesus in our place, fulfilling his mission to be our redeemer, to go to the cross and die for us, we will realize even though it's hard to believe, it is true. Help us to treasure all these things in our heart. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.